I'm pulling out of somebody else's driveway. You know what that means. Well, it means I had to drop my daughter off at a friend's. But, luckily, it's further away from home, so you guys get extra content today. Okay, so um, recently I just finished a five-part series on Unhinged. But, five parts is a lot in a row, so I like to break it up. So today, I'm going to do another um, one of my series, 20 Years and 20 Podcasts. So, uh, the way this works is, every podcast, I, I started with 1993, the year of the game's release, and every time I've been doing one of these, I do another year, going chronologically. Well, last time, I did 2001, which means this time, yes, 2002. Okay. So I will say this, the interesting, before we start, uh, so before I, I do these, I do a little research so I can, you know, remember what every year did. And the interesting thing about it was, this year, 2002, had three set releases, uh, had a World Champ decks, and that is it for product. I mean, I'll go through it all, but it's very interesting as you sort of look at where the game is now and where the game once was. I mean, one of the reasons that I hope people enjoy the series is just trying to understand kind of the context of, of, of Magic's history in each year. So anyway, let's begin. So the first thing uh, happened January 10th through the 13th, which was Pro Tour San Diego. In it, uh, Frenchman Fareed Marenghi defeated Jens Torren from Sweden. So Jens's name is going to show up a few more times this year. Um, so in 2000, the year was all about John Finkel, and 2001 was all about Kai Buda. Um, nobody was as, as dominant. In fact, no one really since then has been as dominant as those two. But uh, um, there are some names like Jens that's going to show up a couple different times. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Fareed Marenghi. So the very first major tournament ever played was 1994 Worlds, in which uh, American Zach Dolan defeated Frenchman Bertrand Lestray. France came in second. The second biggest tournament was the 95 National, and that's right, 95 uh, World Championships, in which Alexander Bloomkey of Switzerland defeated Marc Hernandez of France. France, second. Next big tournament was the first Pro Tour in New York City, in which American Michael LeCanto defeated Frenchman Bertrand Lestray. Bertrand Lestray was second again. Um, and so, one of the things, there was a theme that, that kept reoccurring, which is, the French were very, very strong. You know, they, they've always been a, a very good, uh, I mean, a country that's, that's produced a lot of good players. You know, there's numerous people from France in the Hall of Fame, for example. But, for the longest time, it was known as the curse, the French curse. That they couldn't win, they kept coming in second. Um, and so finally, finally a Frenchman wins a Pro Tour. And the funny thing is, Fareed Marenghi was not a particularly well-known player. So, like, there's all these really established, well, you know, very, very good French players. And they kept coming in second. Um, and finally, the one that breaks the curse is a little-known player. Um, now, since then, other Frenchmen have won. Uh, but Fareed was the first Frenchman, I mean other than, like, French nationals, but of a, of a pro tour or a world's um, the first to do so. Um, now, remember, at the pro tours at the time, we had what we called the Masters event. And what the Masters event was is, I think we were still showing these shows on ESPN2, um, but anyway, it was, they were tournaments in which uh, you had to be invited to play, so they were invitationals. I think, I think there was 64 players, it might have been 32. But anyway, it was a smaller group of players, it was just the top players, um, you know, there was money on the line, so it, it was ways, extra ways for pros to make money, but it's kind of similar to now we, how we do the player championship, where in order to get invited, you had to be one of the top tier players. 
Um, and the way it would work is, if the event was a limited event, then the uh, masters would be constructed. If the event, if the PT was a limit, was a constructed event, then um, the pro tour, would, I'm sorry, the masters would be limited. So let me explain something. I just realized. I'm, so now the way pro tour works is every pro tour has both a constructed and a limited portion. That is not how it always worked. Once upon a time, the pro tour was all one format. It was either all a constructed format or all a limited format. The limited formats bounced back and forth between two different types of draft: Rochester draft and booster draft. I'm sure you guys know what booster draft is. Rochester draft is a draft in which you open the pack, you lay out all the cards, and the first player picks a card, and you go all the way to the eighth player. The eighth player gets an additional pick, and then it snakes back. Um, and so the idea is that um, it's a draft in which it's all open information. Every pick is a known quantity. And that means that you can react to what other players are doing. For example, you always know your first opponent, so you might actually draft to be able to beat your first opponent. Okay. Uh, in the Masters... Uh, which was standard. So the uh, PT was, uh, I didn't write it down, it was kind of a, a draft. Let me see if I can figure out from, by looking at future PTs what this one was. Um, what is this? Do, 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 do. Uh, must have been Rochester draft because the next, the next limited was booster draft. Okay, so I think it was Rochester draft. Um, and Ryan Fuller of Canada defeated Dave Humphreys of the United States. So Dave Humphreys, for those who don't know, is in the Hall of Fame, currently is the, the manager of the developers in R&D, um, a longtime player. Ryan Fuller, also another longtime player, he, uh, he was one of uh, the early bad boys of Magic. He definitely had a reputation for being... Uh, uh, he, he was known for definitely pushing buttons, and, and he, he was definitely uh, skirted, unsportsmanlike conduct, one, one might say. Uh, but anyway, Ryan actually took this. It was, a, it was a standard tournament, and Ryan defeated Dave Humphreys in the Masters. Okay, next, we go to January 26th. Uh, is the pre-release of Torment, which came out on February 4th. So Torment, codenamed Boron, so the three sets in the Odyssey block was Odyssey, Torment, Judgment, was Argon, Boron, Carbon. So they were all elements done in ABC order. Um, Torment had 143 cards, 55 commons, 44 uncommons, 44 rares, um, at the time, that was the set size. Um, remember, there were no Mythics yet. Mythics wouldn't come to later. Um, so basically, Torment had... Um, so Odyssey had introduced Flashback and Threshold, so those got continued and expanded upon. Um, back in the day, the way blocks used to work is we would have a couple main mechanics, named mechanics, um, that would show up in the first set, and the name mechanics would evolve throughout the set. Um, so Torment is interesting, and it introduced a, uh, another named mechanic. Normally, we did not do that at the time. Uh, it introduced Madness. So Madness was a mechanic where if this card got discarded through any means, either you chose to discard it as a cost or your opponent forced you to discard it, you could pay the Madness cost to cast the card right away. Um, so A, it allowed you to use the card as a resource and play it, and or, you know, or if your opponent made you discard it, you, you could still play it. It also essentially turned into an instant. So a lot of cards were creatures or sorceries that, by using the madness, allowed you to get around their time, the, the normal time restriction. Um, also, the set had what we called Nightmares. Uh, this was a mechanic that Richard Garfield actually made for Odyssey, but we ended up pushing back to Torment. Um, nightmares were all on black creatures. And we'll get to the black thing in a moment. Uh, when they came into play, they removed uh, something from the game. Could be a permanent, could be a card in the opponent's hand. They removed something of the opponent's. And then when the creature died, the opponent got that thing back. It's funny, we still do that, um, but now it's a white thing. So, like, Banishing Banisher Priest does it. Um, but that's, that's now moved into white territory. At the time, though, it was black. Um, so, the, the other major theme of, of, of Torment was 
the flavor of the story was the main character was a guy named Kamal, who was, uh, when the story starts, a pit fighter. So there was uh, the, the people who are called the Cabal, uh, a, a bunch of bad guys, but they run the pit fighting. Uh, and the um, Cabal Patriarch is the, the head of it. And um, Chainer and Braids, if those names would be familiar, they were members of the Cabal. In fact, uh, the book for Torment, this is back in the day where every, every set had its own book, was called Chainer's Torment. Uh, and Chainer was the main character. Anyway, the idea was, um, we came up with this idea of, let's do a set in which we, we weigh one of the colors. And so Torment was a dark set, so there was more black in it. So the way it worked is, red and blue had the normal amount of cards, white and green had less than normal, black had more than normal. And we did a bunch of other things. There were some, there were some cycles that like all cycled around black. Um, there were uh, a cycle of lands that were four lands that tapped for one of each of the non-black colors. And then if you had a swamp, also tapped for black. It was the tainted cycle. Um, we had creatures that um, would threshold into um, creatures that had black activations. The, the, the idea is, is when, when things went bad, they would turn dark. Um, but anyway, there, there's this, Torment definitely has this theme of sort of a darkness pervading. And so we, we have heavy black. Um, you'll notice that since this day... I mean, other than judgment, which I'll get to later, later today. Um, we really don't wait anymore. I, I tried waiting in just a little tiny bit, and uh, development undid it. It really, really messes with limited, and so it's, it's basically been decided that it's not worth doing. Um, but Torment was the set that did it. I mean, definitely was the set that sort of messed in that area. Um, okay. Uh, anything else about Torment? Oh, oh, the other thing about Torment was uh, it brought back Sengir Vampire. So one of the things that we did for Torment and, and uh, Judgment, which is weird, is for each set we brought back an iconic creature that had kind of been popular in the past, but in, in modern day wasn't particularly any good. Uh, and so it was really weird. Like, Sengir Vampire was a big part of the marketing for the set. But the weird thing is, okay, okay, it's a famous card from the past. It's black. It's a black set. But Sengir Vampire wasn't really... I mean, Sanger Vampire was good in early, early Magic where, you know, decks were of low power level, but I mean, it was never particularly a good card. It wasn't like a tournament-tier card. Um, so to bring it back and make a big fanfare, I, mean, I think it was on the booster pack, especially when, like, it's not that good a card. Anyway, uh, I feel like a mistake. Okay, next. March 15th through the 17th was Pro Tour Osaka in Japan. Um, American Ken Ho defeats Frenchman Olivier Ruel. So Olivier Ruel, you might know that he and his brother Antoine are both in the Hall of Fame. Um, Ken Ho is not, although Ken Ho is definitely a good player. Um, the, it was a block-constructed pro-, pro Tour, which, being that uh, Torment had just come out, it must have been... Normally what we do for the block-constructed, back when we did it back in the day, was we normally would have the Pro Tour after the second set, and so the block-constructed would be the first set and the second set, and then the PTs that did block-constructed would have the third set in it. So that way... We had a diverse enough environment, or as diverse as we could get, for um, the Pro Tour, but then had added something for the, for the um, PTs that followed. Um, the Masters Edition was Team Limited, and Phoenix Foundation defeated a Japanese team called Panzer Hunter. So Phoenix Foundation, for those who don't know, is Kai Buda, uh, Dirk Babarowski, and Marco Bloom, all German. Um, Kai Buda, one of the best players of all time, if not the best player of all time, in the Hall of Fame, deservedly. Uh, Dirk Babarowski is one of the best players of all time, also in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and Marco Bloom, not in the Hall of Fame, but uh, former uh, German national champ. I mean, a very, very good player. So 
they were a force to be reckoned with, and there's a period in time where they were just dominating all the, the team events. They were playing against Panzer Hunter with a Japanese team, Kazuki Momosi, Ataru Ishida, and Renji Andu. Um, Ataru Ishida was the leader of that team, and he is, um, like, even to this day, definitely something that people constantly talk about should he be in the Hall of Fame. He was a very good player, one of the best Japanese players. It's funny, the name was Panzer Hunter, which implies to me that this team was going after Phoenix Foundation, which was a German team. Uh, I'm guessing that's where the name came from. I, I don't know for sure, but that's what it sounds like. Um, okay. Next, May 3rd to the 5th, was Protor Nice. Uh, Ivan Nitter of uh, Norway defeated Bram Snipfingers of the Netherlands. Um, oh, so this was a booster draft. So here's one of the funny stories of this thing is, in booster draft, your information is secret. People can't see what's in your draft. And there are rules that say um, that you are not allowed to show people what you're drafting. So Zvi Moshewitz, before the event, calls and says, because uh, what, what Zvi had figured out was that people considered white to be very poor in the format. But Zvi found out that if he was the only white drafter, that he could make a really good deck. So what Zvi wanted to do was, Zvi said, okay, I've made a t-shirt, and it showed a picture of uh, Tarot's Faithful, I think, one of the white cards from the set. And then on the back, it said, I'm pretty fly for a white guy, which is a reference to a song, if you don't happen to know that. Um, and the idea was, he goes, I want to wear this shirt. This shirt really loudly says, I want white. And if two people at the table draft white, white is weak enough that it couldn't support two people. Only one person could draft white. And so Zvi's hope was, if he could communicate through his t-shirt that he wanted to be the white guy, that everybody else would stay out of white because white's no good unless you're the only person drafting white. And so he came to us and said, can I wear this shirt? Um, and there's a big, con- like, the canny, and finally in the end, we're like, well, we can't control what people wear. And so anyway, we, we let him wear the shirt. But uh, anyway, it was one of the interesting kind of judge calls you get. Um, so in this top eight, one of the interesting things about top eight is Kai Buddha makes top eight. But wait a minute, I just announced the finals. I didn't mention Kai Buddha. Yes, Kai Buddha finally loses. Kai Buddha had this long streak of getting to the finals. The rule was when Kai played on Sunday, he won. Uh, and finally, somebody defeated him. So, trivia question. Who defeated Kai Buda on Sunday? And the answer is Bram Snuffingers of the Netherlands. So, Bram is in the Hall of Fame. Um, a very good player from the Netherlands. Uh, Bram did not win, though. Ivan Nitter won from Norway. Um, he, uh, he won PT Nice. Okay, next. May 18th was the pre-release, and May 27th was the release of Judgment. So Judgment was Carbon, the code name. Once again, 143 cards, 55 commons, 44 uncommons, 44 rares. Um, so the uh, you might say that uh, Judgment was the yin to uh, Torment Yang. I say the yin because I believe yin is white and yang is black, I think. Um, so what happened was we wanted to make an unbalanced set in Torment. But in order to keep everything balanced in the big picture, Judgment offset that. So, for example, Torment had heavy black, normal red and blue, light white and green. Um, Judgment had heavy white and green, normal blue and red, very light black. Very light black, because you had to have extra room for white and green. Um, So what we did is, we made one or two decent black cards, but really, there is not a lot of black in Judgment. Not at all. But there was a lot of white. So, let's talk about the mechanics. Um, Oh, um, so Torment, by the way, I forgot to mention this. Torment was led by Bill Rose 
was the lead designer. I had led Odyssey. Bill Rose had led Torment. Bill Rose was supposed to lead Judgment. But it turns out, at the time, I don't think... Had Bill just started becoming... Bill might have been started being VP at this point. But Bill had more responsibilities. I'm not sure whether or not he was VP yet or not. Um, he had more responsibilities. Maybe he was just the director. Maybe he was, just, he was director, uh, Aaron's job. Maybe he was director and not. But anyway, Bill was busy. And so he wanted to be on the team, but he didn't have time to sort of control the file. So Brian Tinsman, and I believe this was Brian's first design, um, Bill said to Brian, here's what I want to do. I want to have you control the file, and you get to be lead editor. Now, it's funny. Now, we do something very similar where someone controls the file, but they're not lead editor. They would call a strong second. But for, for this, for this uh, officially, officially on the books, this is Brian Tinsman's first lead. Um, it really was guided a lot by Bill. Um, but Brian took care of the file, and Brian did add some stuff. So one of the things he added is a thing called Advocates. So the Advocates was a cycle in which, in order to use, they were activated creatures with an activation, you had to give your opponent a card out of their graveyard, return it to their hand. You choose which one, but you got to do it. So it was good at fighting against um, Flashback, um, but it also you were giving them resources, and sometimes, you know, your choices weren't too good. So it, anyway, I remember Brian made it, and I wasn't... My first thought, I, I had a bad first impression of the Advocates, but then I played them, and they actually proved to be really interesting. Next were the Incarnations. So none of these, by the way, these all were referenced to creature-type name or name. That None of these were actual named mechanics. So Incarnations was a cycle of creatures. Uh, they're called Jedis, actually, in, um, in design. They were made by Mike Elliott. In fact, Mike Elliott, I don't think, was on the design of Judgment. I think Mike Elliott made these cards either in Odyssey or in Torment. Um, but we decided to hold them off for the last set. So what Incarnations did is they were creatures that had a, a keyword, a creature keyword, like uh, the red one is haste. The red one's called anger. So it, it's a 2-2 with haste, but when it dies, when it's in your graveyard, it grants all your creatures haste. So the idea is it was a creature that had some ability, but in death, you know, if you strike me down, I will be more powerful. That's what they're called Jedi. Um, and so, anyway, those went on to be, like, tournament-quality cards. Um... Wonder was, the, Wonder was the blue one that granted flying. Anyway, the, the whole cycle, they were all named after emotions, and they were called the incarnations. Um, there were more nightmares in this set, but the nightmares in Torment were black, and they, uh, they removed your, they exiled your opponent's things. The nightmares in Torment were red and blue, and they exiled your own things. So the idea was, I got a creature that was cheaper than normal, but in order to play it, I had to exile something, and then if my creature ever died, I got back the thing I exiled. Um, there were the Phantoms. So the Phantoms were, I think, just in white and green. Um, the Phantoms were creatures that, uh, they were zero, zero creatures that came in with so many plus one, plus one, plus one counters. And then every time they would take damage, instead of taking the damage, they would lose a counter. So let's say it was a 4-4 four, four creature. Well, and let's say it gets blocked by a 4-4 four, four creature. Well, you destroy their 4-4 four, four creature, and then your 4-4 four, four just becomes a 3-3. Three, three. Um, and so Phantoms also, uh, Phantom Nish- Nishoba, uh, just turned in play. Next, the Wishes. So the Wishes were a cycle of rares. There was one in each color. And what the Wishes did is they allowed you to go outside the game to take something and put it into your hand. Now, in tournaments, this meant you could go to your sideboard. Uh, outside of tournaments, you can go get whatever you owned in your collection. Um, and Wishes are interesting. They're, they're one of a few handful of cards that they mechanically work different in a tournament than they work outside of a tournament. Um, the Wishes were really powerful. So... Uh, the red wish was burning wish, the blue wish was cunning wish, and the green wish was living wish. Those were the three powerful ones. 
Um, the white one got you an artifact or enchantment, but it was really expensive. And the black one could get you anything, but it cost you life, and it wasn't particularly well-costed. So those didn't see as much play. But the, the, blue, the red, blue, and green one saw a lot of play, and they were very, very, very popular. Um, obviously, we also had more flashback. We had more threshold. Um, I think Madness was just in the black set, so I don't think there was Madness in the set. Um, also, Urnum Jin returned! Uh, Urnum Jin was a creature from Arabian Nights. Uh, basically, its drawback was, it was a, was it 4-5? For like 4 mana, it was like a 4-5. And then it granted all your opponent's creatures forest walks. So in order to get this really cheap creature, your opponent's creatures mostly became unblockable, because odds are you had to get a forest to get this in play. Now, there are ways around that. Um, when, when Arabian Nights came out, the only way to get green mana, all the, even the dual lands were, were forests. Uh, later, there would be dual lands that weren't, that didn't, that allowed you to get it out without your opponent being able to, to walk on, you know, forest walk on you. Um, but, and, uh, I talked about Bertrand Lestray at the, uh, first Pro Tour, uh, defeated by Michael Lacanto. He had actually played a deck called Urnum Armageddon, which was a deck with a green-white deck where you played a bunch of big creatures, Urnum being one of the, Urnum Jin being one of them, and then you went Armageddon, so your opponent had, you know, couldn't, had no resources to deal with your giant creatures. Anyway, Urnum Jin, un- unlike Sanger Vampire, Urnum Jin back in the day was a tournament card. The problem was, creatures had gotten better, and Urnum Jin didn't really keep up with pace, so... We made a giant deal about Ernum Jin's back, and he was green, and this was a white-green set. And, but once again, it, it, it's like, hey, here's a card that once upon a time was good, but not any good anymore. And so, and, and I don't know, I, once again, I think it's kind of a mistake. But um, Judgment, uh, both, both, so the Odyssey block in general did okay, but not great. Um, Odyssey had a reputation as being a very weak set, although ironically it was a very strong set. Um... And this whole block, it's funny, this block has become popular for, for pros to go back and get, and get and draft. Like, sometimes what people will do is they'll get the, physically get the cards and then have, a, you know, sort of nostalgia drafts. So they draft old sets. And this block is really, really popular with the pros because it is insanely spiky. It's a very spiky block. Uh, in fact, if you listen to my lessons learned, it's too spiky. Um, we don't do sets quite this spiky anymore. Um, but if you enjoy getting nuanced out of every little nook and cranny, this set just has lots of mechanics that really give you tons and tons of incremental advantage if you're paying attention to what's going on. I mean, really, really close attention to what's going on. Okay, next, we get to August 18th, was the World Championship. Well, it was, it was like uh, the 14th or the 18th. It's the World Championships in Sydney, Australia. So I had a chance to go to Sydney for the invitation a couple years earlier, but I was excited to go back to Sydney. I like Sydney a lot. Uh, in it, Carlos Romao from Brazil defeated Mark Ziegner of Germany. Um, so Carlos winning would be the fourth continent to win a, a world championship. Um, the very first world championship was won by American Zach Dolan. Um, the second one was won by Europeans from Switzerland, um, uh, Alexander Blumke. The third in 96 was won by Australian um, Tom Champagne. Uh, and the fourth country, or sorry, fourth continent to win a world championships was South America. So, um, anyway, uh, the, uh, also this event, so the, the U.S., um, up through this point, from 1994, where the first time we, we kept track of team, team standings at Worlds, sorry, 95, from 95 through 2001, the U.S. team had won every single year except for 1997, in which place the Canadian team won. So, 
other than the other than Canada, so other than North America, nobody outside of North America had ever won a team event. And coming into this, it looked like the U.S. team was about to have another defeat. Um, they were down, and in order to get to the finals, they had a they had to win four straight games on the team day, and then defeat the Netherlands. Um, or sorry, at least defeat Denmark, and then defeat Denmark in a playoff, which they did. And so it was the USA up against Germany. But not just any Germany, a German team that included Kai Buda. Uh, and the Germans won. And so it was the first time that um, a, a country outside of the North America had won, first time a European country had won, first time Germany had won. So Germany became the world champs, the team, the team world champs. Okay, next, September, September 27th to the 29th was Pro Tour Boston. Well, Kai, not quite done yet. So the Phoenix Foundation won again. Uh, I forgot to look up. This is Kai's. So Kai won eight Pro Tours altogether. Um, I think this is number seven. I think he has one more to go. But anyway, uh, this is the last one of this year. Uh, in fact, it's, only, it's the only... Um, he won a Masters, but it's the only um, Pro Tour Kai won this year. So Phoenix Foundation defeated a team called 2020. Uh, that was a Canadian team. Uh, with Steve Wolfman, David Rood, and Elijah Pollock. Um, all of them were people that definitely were regulars on the Pro Tour. Um, or, or all of them that showed up in multiple Pro Tours, but none of them were, were major names. Um, but anyway, this was... I think I think Phoenix Foundation won twice, back-to-back years. This was their second winning as a team. Um, I do not have... Was there a Masters? That's question. Was there a Masters at PT Boston? Uh, I do not see a Masters written down. So either there was one I didn't write it down. Hmm... Well, let's assume I didn't write it down. If, if there wasn't Masters and someone won, I apologize. Okay, next, October 18th. Oh, no, sorry, September 28th was the pre-release. October 9th was the release of Onslaught, nicknamed Manny. So the uh, Onslaught block, so Onslaught Legion's uh, Onslaught Legion Scourge, was Manny, Moe, and Jack, which a lot of people go, what? So there is a, a series of um, car parts stores called the Pep Boys, um, and their three, you know, their, their snap, crackle, pop uh, is Manny, Moe, and Jack, three brothers who I think started the store. They were the, they are the pet boys. I think three brothers started the store and they're the three brothers. Um, anyway, this proved to be a very, very poor code name because not a lot of people knew it. And so the order, if you don't know it, you don't know the order. Now, if you know the order, they are Manny, Moe, and Jack goes in that order. But a lot of people didn't know. But anyway, this set was Manny. It was 350 cards which means 110 commons, 110 uncommons, 110 rares, and 20 basic lands. Um, so Onslaught introduced Morph, uh, brought back Cycling, and introduced the tribal theme as a major block component. Um, so, uh, so Morph came about because the rules team was trying to fix the card, um, or two cards, Camouflage and Illusionary Mask. And their idea to solve the problem was to define what a face-down card was. Um, anyway, the show, I mean, when I get to Onslaught, I'll tell the long version of the story. But essentially, um, they came to different people trying to see if they can turn this into mechanics. They had an idea for mechanics that you played as a face-down creature and then, then turned face up. They ended up coming to me. I, I liked the idea a lot. I worked to make some cards. And anyway, when I get to the Onslaught, um, the Onslaught thing, I'll t- t- tell that more in detail. Um, so, more for those that don't know is you play the card face down as a 2-2 creature, costs 3 mana, it's a colorless, non-creature-type 2-2 creature, and then by paying its morph cost, you can turn it up, um, and it becomes whatever creature. So that is, it's hidden in its down state, although it's, it's a defined 2-2. 
Also, uh, cycling came back. And this was the first time we had brought back a named mechanic. We had brought back, like, pitch spells before, uh, Kindle spells. We brought back stuff before, Atogs. But this is the first time we brought back a mechanic. And there's a lot of controversy at the time. Once again, when I get to the Onslaught uh, stories, I'll explain it. But uh, um, we did a few things to tweak it up a little bit. Um, we finally made cards that cared about cycling. And we did some things that Windy Cycle did things. But once again, I'll... When I get to the onslaught, I, I talk more about that. Um, finally, we, um, I really wanted to have a block with a strong tribal component. Um, and the set needed something, and Bill came to talk to me, and I suggested... There was a little seed of tribal in it, and I said, let's really push that. And I kept pushing it more and more and more and more. Like, no, more, no, more, turn it up, turn it up, turn it up. Um, and it's funny that, like, when the set got printed, like, clearly the tribal of Onslaught could have been a little bit higher. I mean, Lorwyn might have been a little, little too high, but, uh, um... So anyway, the fun thing about Onslaught was, um, uh, it, for the first time, I mean, we had always had a tribal component in sets, but it's the first time where there was a major, major player, that what tribes were became a, a, a big, big deal. Okay, next, October 18th to the 20th, the Magic Invitational in Seattle. So what had happened, for those that listened to my, my Magic Invitational podcast, uh, I got no budget. The, the OP team said, um, we don't want you to stop having the Magic Invitational, just we can't fund you anymore. So I ended up going to Magic Online, and this event was sponsored by Magic Online, which meant it was all played online, and to keep costs down, it was played in Seattle. So this was the one Invitational played at the corporate headquarters. And in it, who did Jens win? Jens Turan won this. Who did he beat? I did not write down who he played. Jens is from Sweden. I talked about him earlier. Uh, and he won and made a card called Solemn Simulacrum. So he turned the card in. It was a two-creature two that you got to... I think you got a land when it came into play and you draw a card when it died. Or reverse that. I think you got the land when you played it and you got a card when it died. He turned it in as a blue-green creature, but we turned it into artifact because it ended up going to Mirrodin, which was an artifact set. And he didn't know we had an artifact set coming. And we decided to make an artifact just meant everybody could play it. So that went on to be a really good card. Um, and, and that invitation was a fun invitational. I, I did a lot to try to make sure that it was fun because, you know, in previous years we had like gone to Africa and Sydney and Malaysia and, you know, had tours and petted cheetahs and did all sorts of cool things. So I, I tried to make it as special as I could. Um, the one nice thing, because it was at the corporate headquarters, it allowed a lot of people to come and watch it. Um, and so that was, I, I thought that was really cool. That just, there was a lot more of, like, meeting all the people who make magic. You know, normally at Invitational, it would be me and maybe one other person that came to help. Where this event, like, all of R&D was there. And so all the people that played the event really got a chance to meet everybody. That was kind of one of the coolest part of, parts of it. It also allowed us to do, do, go out and do some stuff, and I got to take them to my favorite seafood restaurant. And... Okay, November 8th of the 10th was Pro Tour Houston. Uh, Justin Gary of Team Your Move Games, uh, and from, from America, defeats Rob Doherty, an American also from Your Move Games. In third place, Darwin Castle, also from Your Move Games. So Rob Doherty and Darwin Castle, and Dave Humphreys, um, all are in the Hall of Fame. Justin Gary should be in the Hall of Fame. In fact, I, every year I promote somebody. This year I'm promoting Justin Gary. I, I always pick an old-timer that I think really deserves it. Justin's stats are insane. Um, he has three top eights. I know a lot of people like more top eights. One of them is a win, obviously, this event. Um, he also has a U.S. Nationals under his belt at a time when U.S. Nationals was very hard to win. He made U.S. National team another time and won the team championship at, at Worlds. Um, he obviously came in second in Masters earlier this year. Um, and he has 20 top 32s. 20. I think the next closest to him is like 13. And others that top 32, I believe 
Like, there was a streak in which for two and a half years he made top 32 consecutively. That's insane. His best three years are insane. Anyway, um, so another amazing thing about this tournament was Your Move Games came in first, second, and third in a constructed tournament, all playing different decks. Um, it was, uh, I believe, a extended tournament. Justin Gary was king of extended. That was the format he also did well in Masters in. Um, did I mention he came in second? Is that something I missed? Uh, Justin Gary, who did Justin Gary play? Let's see, if I, if I didn't mention something earlier of Justin Gary, I know Justin Gary came in second. Where is that? Hmm. Did I miss it somewhere? Well, Justin Gary, one of the things this year is he, he played in a Mafters, an extended Mafters. Oh, um, yes, he, uh, PT Nice, he, um, he, Alexander Vitt defeated Justin Gary. In extended, so I, I forgot to mention that. But Justin Gary came in second earlier in the year. Um, in the Masters of this event, Jens Turan, who just won the uh, Magic Invitational, defeated uh, Gary Wise from Canada. So Gary Wise is another uh, Hall of Famer, uh, very, very good player, particularly known for his limited game, and they, they did a booster draft uh, in the Masters. Um, so anyway, Jens had back-to-back wins. He won at Invitational and then won at a Masters, which is pretty impressive. Uh, oh, finally, we get to December. In December, the World Champ decks. So, um, it was Carlos Hamal and Mark Ziegner, I'm sure their decks were in it. The way the World decks work is it's the winner and the second place, as long as the second place is not playing the same deck. Sorry, Bob Marr from 2000. Uh, and then two other people, usually in the top eight. We try to get names. I didn't write down what decks did this time. Henry Stern used to run that thing. Um, and the way it worked was they were actual cards with a gold border and a different back, a World Champ back, um, so that we could print the cards. Uh, and then you could, you could try out the matches of the worlds and you could play the top deck versus the second deck. Would you win if you were playing, you know, Carlos Amado's deck? Um, so, um, so people ask me all the time, what happened to the world championship decks? So that, here's, here's the answer. Whenever we made something and you go, I love that thing. Why did that thing go away? Nine times out of ten, the answer is not enough people liked it. You know, you, you were in a minority and, uh, world champ decks just didn't sell that well. Um, I mean, we made them for a while. We actually made them for many, many years, but, and it was real hard for us to do because one of the problems was they had to be, um, they wanted to be the world champ decks, and so they were normally standard because the, the top eight at Worlds was standard. But the problem was it took us a while to make the decks, and so by the time the decks came out, um, usually the standard, the standard had changed because normally we, um, we would make, the World Championship would happen in August, new, a new set would come out, like Onslaught came out in the fall, and by the time we get the World Champs out, the decks aren't even standard legal anymore. And the larger format, which was extended, was they weren't powerful enough for So it was kind of this weird thing where if you just play, if you, if you play them as dual decks and just played them by themselves, it was fun, but it, you didn't get to really mix them with normal magic, because by the time they came out, they were out of date. Um, so I'm almost to work, but I, uh, because I'm not quite to work, uh, a few things I did not mention, so I'll quickly mention these. Uh, June 28th was the European Championship, where David Brucker of Germany defeated uh, Christoph Neim. I don't know where Christoph is from. I, uh, he's a French-sounding name, so he's from probably a country that speaks French. So France, Belgium, Switzerland. Sorry, Christoph. Um, uh, so one thing to remember is, at the time... Um, the European used to do a continental championship every year where the players of Europe would play off. For a while, APAC would do a championship and Latin America did a championship, but I don't have either of those written down this year. I'm not sure if they stopped happening. Uh, they weren't listed when I went through. So one of the things I do when I do, uh, if you're curious how, in fact, I, I do one of these is 
I sit down, I go through our calendar, both our product release calendar and our pro tour and our events calendar, and look at all the things that are going on. Uh, normally, I restrict myself to higher profile events. I, I, unless there's a Grand Prix that was super, super important in some way, I tend to skip, skip Grand Prix because there's so many of them by this point. Um, oh, the other event that I, I did. Oh, anyway, so what I do is I go through, I write down everything, and then I sort of fill up my page and make sure that I have enough stuff that I could talk about for the year. Um, well, the interesting thing is this year, because there were so few actual releases, uh, I needed to spend a little more time on organized play. I think what's going to happen, by, I mean, I have no idea, because every time I do a set, I, I figure out based on the year I have. So, but I'm noticing as I'm going along, I, I know the future, right? I've, I've lived the future, that uh, we're going to start putting out more and more stuff every year, which means that I'll have less time to do the nuance of explaining what things are, and more like, we did this, we did this, we did this, we did this. Um, I, I, my, my goal is to make each year only one podcast because it's 20 years and 20 podcasts, not like 24. Um, so I'm going to, well, well, anyway, it'll be an interesting challenge to see what happens when I have a, a longer list of things to do. The other big event I did not mention was on May 31st with the U.S. Nationals in which Eugene Harvey defeated Eric Franz. So Eugene Harvey, nicknamed the Eugenius, uh, I believe he also came out of, he was, um, so there was a, a Pro Tour team uh, that Randy Bueller was on, that Eric, Bu- that Eric Lauer was on, that Mike Turian was on, that Aaron Forsyth was on, um, known as Team CMU, CMU standing for Car- Carnegie Mellon University. Um, most of CMU actually weren't from CMU, but uh, that's where a couple of them were, and they, they tended to play there. Um, and so, anyway, Eugene Harvey was the next sort of generation of Team CMU, uh, and he, he was known as a really good deck builder. And like I said, his team put up quite the fight. They, they made to the final. Like they, pretty much, we thought the U.S. was out. We're like, we looked at them like, and then someone figured out that no, no, mathematically, like, wait a minute, if they sweep, you know, they sweep every match, and then they'll, you know, they'll have a tie off, and they can beat the people in the playoff. They could make the finals, and that was the big story of of the team day. Is could the U.S. pull off the impossible? I mean, and they did. So it was, it was actually quite exciting. So what? Let me recap this year. I'm almost to work, but let me recap 2002. Um, I think it was interesting. It definitely was a year of us doing some experimenting. If you kind of look at the sets that came out, we did color imbalanced. We uh, did a keyword in the second set of a set. Um, we pushed new themes with tribal. We did morph, which was definitely a really out there mechanic. Um, I think you see us that this is kind of the year where we start we start pushing the boundaries a little more. That it definitely is a set where we're we're not content to just do what we had done. You know, and that not everything worked out in the sense that, like, eh, color and balance proved to be not uh, not as useful tools we'd hoped. But it did allow us to give a different identity. I mean, Torment is the black set. If you know anything about magic, when you say Torment, you go, oh, the black set. I mean, so looking back, I mean, I, I feel that this was definitely... I see the seeds of things to come. Um, you know, and, and, and Onslaught, for example, was another real thing where... Um, We'd start doing block themes, and it really took a little bit of, of, of convincing. But finally, once I got everybody on board, they really embraced the, the tribal component of the set. Um, oh, one of the funny stories is, Randy, Randy Bueller was, um, I think, the head developer at the time. And Randy was convinced um, that Morph was, was going to be, like, the, that, that the most exciting thing in the set was Morph. Because um, Morph's a little, a little more spiky, right? Um, and I, I've, been, I've been pushing the tribal theme, Obviously, I mean, I, I liked Morph. I, I also been one of the people that you know, obviously, convinced us to do Morph. But um, I kind of, my heart, heart knew that the most exciting thing about the set was the tribal theme. So we we came back from the pre-release, 
And Randy was like, oh, like, well, they, they liked more, but wow, they really liked the tribal theme. And I'm like, Randy, why do you think we did the tribal theme, you know? Because we had so many arguments about, you know, how much to turn up the tribal theme and this and that. And I, I was always the one going, no louder, no louder, no louder. So, anyway, it was very nice when the tribal theme went over well that I could say, see. <laughs> okay, so, my friends, I am pulling into uh, Wizards of the Coast. That, my friends, is 2002. So it was a year of some experimentation. It was definitely a year of lots of pro tour play. No, no dominance like some previous years. Um, but lots of good players, a lot of good names. Um, you know, Justin Gary and Jens Turan. You see a few names pop up a couple times. So, I mean, and pretty much, uh, notice when I start talking about how people do, I keep going, oh, this guy's in the Hall of Fame, oh, this guy's in the Hall of Fame, oh, this guy's in the Hall of Fame. You know, that these, this is really some of the early years where these people were making their names as being people that were worthy of, later would be worthy of the Hall of Fame. But that, my friends, is 2002. I've now parked my car, so it's time for me to be making magic. Thanks for joining me, and I'll talk to you guys next time.